0: Andre Young is a professional speaker keynoting all over. He's a best-selling author of three books. He's a trainer and a coach and the founder of the company, You Evolving Now. In this episode, John and I uncover, and Andre is generous enough to share with us his keys to everything from work-life harmony to what is bully language in the workplace, leaders' relationship with employees and how to create it, how to create and cast vision as a leader, the importance of connection over know-how, and just quite simply, how do you know you're doing leadership well? We're so happy for you to have the treat of experiencing Andre Young. Hey, Andre, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, I'm so happy to be here. Rich, John, thank you guys for having me, and thank you guys who are listening.
0: Happy to have you. Bring us up to speed with some of your story on where you came from, how
1: you got to where you are? Oh my goodness, That's, it's a, I'll shorten down the answer for that because the truth is I never meant to be a professional speaker and I certainly didn't want to write. And I joke with people all the time, now I can't stop speaking and I can't stop writing. I can't shut up about it all. So um, I was a mental health therapist for 19 years. I thought that I would retire doing that. I did everything from group to individual to marital, inpatient, outpatient, you name it. Um, Went through a divorce over a decade ago now. And I remember feeling like, okay, I did some good things as a husband. I did some some bad things as a husband. But overall, I was a good person. So I said I wanted to create an organization where men could come and be better and go home better and not just relieved. So long story short, started in my, uh, in my family room, in, in my living room, and it kept growing to the point where women wanted it, you know, youth wanted it, It went on college campuses, university athletics. I had staff and all of this, and I was enjoying doing it. But the funny thing and the great thing, not at the time, is that it started to die. And it started to die because I was competing with people's busy. So I I was attempting to get every single person. And I said, for my business to continue, for me to be of impact, it has to evolve. And it has to be where people already are. They're at work, they're at school, and they're on their phones. So my business, my impact had to be at people's jobs, at their schools, and on their phones. But when I started bringing it to organizations, at the time, I was very personal growth, personal leadership, and work life harmony heavy. And I could see it and they did say it, but they won't say it, say it. They liked it, but weren't willing to bring it on and pay for it because they could meet their bottom line without it. And what I quickly understood is that organizations were looking for leadership, but at the time I'm like, oh, I don't speak about leadership. And I looked back at all of the things that I had uh, taped, videos, content, writing. And I was already talking about leadership. I just hadn't said the word leadership. And once I added the word, everything evolved and everything started going through that lens and then developing concepts based off of me being a past employee, elevated to positions of leadership and managing before you know how to lead and all of the mistakes that go along with that, becoming a business owner, a solopreneur, and then at one point, having a business... But also being an employee at the same time, because my wife wanted to build a house. And I said, oh, man, John Rich, my business was was part time money good, not build a new house money good. (laughs) So at at that time, I'm living both realms of my life. And the concepts that I had created work both as a leader loving down and as an employee giving it back up. And, you know, as as it kept evolving, it just took off uh, along with the books and writing and and everything else. So it's been a fantastic journey. And I can't imagine not doing it. It's it's awesome. And you use
0: the word evolving a couple of times. Name your company is You Evolving Now. Yes. How did you pick that? What's a story behind that for you that might be personal?
1: The funniest and most personal story is that I hated the name at first. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my, my daughter, name it, my oldest daughter, I have four kids, 21, 18, 13, and one year old. So it's a, it's a busy young's household. And um, back when it was for men, like 2011, 2012, uh, it was called Men Evolving Now and the acronym MEN, M-E-N. So my daughter said, Dad, this is kind of like for everybody and this would be great. This should be called you evolving now. And I said, YEN? That sounds awful. (laughs) But as it evolved from men to women to young men, women, and all of the different divisions and university athletics, and then now corporate teams and organizations, you evolving now fit perfectly. And not only with the evolution, evolution is about things evolving and getting better. You know, change is always going to happen. Growth and evolution is a choice and we have to choose to evolve and we do it. You do it now, not Monday, not the new year's resolution, not when you're motivated. Now you do it now and you do it consistent. And it's amazing what happens to your life professionally and personally. That's
0: great. And, uh, you had mentioned something I want to dig into. I know it's on your LinkedIn and you had mentioned it earlier was work-life harmony. Mm -hmm. Can you share with us some of your perspective on work-life harmony and what exactly that means? Dig in.
1: True. True. Um, well, the typical term that people are used to is work-life balance. And when I first heard it, I cringed at it because seeking this work-life balance can cause more stress. You know, um, if, you, if we need to have the perfect work-life balance, it could stress us all out. And first off, we live in America. You're going to work, you know? So let's get over that. We're going to work. Um, I believe that we can all have work-life harmony. Sometimes you're going to work more than you play. Sometimes you're going to play more than you work. We all have our families. We have our things. So let's not stress ourselves out trying to find this perfect balance. And even if you can get it, it's impossible to maintain it. Also, pre-COVID, and when people start to go back to the office in whatever fashion that looks like, the fact that you and I, you guys both have cell phones, correct? Oh, yeah. Yes. You and everybody around the planet. I tell organizations and leaders, the fact that we all carry cell phones means that our relationship, our husbands, our wives, our kids, our everything, is now everywhere we are. So that whole leave home at home when you walk through the door at work, that's gone. You have people responding to 10 pages worth of hate texts while trying to do their job because their relationship is going crazy and your pocket's blowing up. Hard to focus and be your best at work with that. Okay? You got your kids texting you. You got all your life stuff happening right in your pocket. So the better that can be, the better you will be there. Now, contrastly. When people go home, when people shut down their laptop, the phone may not stop ringing, dinging, and chiming with all of this work stuff. And as an employee, when once you answer it, even that first time, you've now given permission for that organization to invade in your time. If you don't, because I, I know bosses that say, oh, I'm going to send it, but don't worry about responding to it. You don't have to respond to it. It doesn't wipe away the anxiety that employees and leaders feel about what am I missing? What am I walking into the next day? Am I not being a team player or is this going to come back and bite me? And if A, B, and C have answered it and I didn't, what does that look like it mean for my future? So talking about work-life harmony and how to do that along with leadership always tying the two together for organizations for teams leaders employees and more so important especially now more than it's ever been if people are home working remote and each role that they play is so jammed in together more than it's ever been
0: john you and i have talked about this before the whole idea we didn't use work-life harmony we did talk about work-life balance and we talked about just a perspective of balance becoming a perspective of time. Because in any given moment, you're actually out of balance. Right now we're doing a podcast. We're not with our families. We're not being good dads or good husbands, right? We're out of balance right now. Then when we're focused on our family, we're out of balance. We're not focused on business. And so balance becomes a perspective of time. You can only be out of balance for so long in a year or a period of years before life has a way of forcing balance on us with either a bad back or a bad knee or people at home saying i don't even know you anymore or Mm -hmm. life has a way of forcing balance on us in uncomfortable ways one
1: way or the other yeah Yeah, exactly i I would
2: say rich you know we talked about this to your point i I sure love harmony than out of balance uh so i'm gonna go with andres right now uh, because i love the word harmony and i also You know, I don't know where I had heard this before, but it truly is connected with me. And we talked about it before, Rich, is I I seek work-life abundance. Mm. I want the most out of life. I want the most out of my professional career. And not because I want to work, not because I I want the hard labor of work, but I enjoy working in stuff I'm passionate about, which then doesn't make me feel like, you know, a hard labor, planting trees or, you know, doing the hard stuff. I, I love building things i love being passionate and that drives me to be better in my personal life because i am passionate about something i am creating something so i like to use the word abundance but i think abundance harmony i think logically speaking what you're talking about rich makes a lot of sense in terms of we're always out of balance a little bit but it's a priority management piece right because you know, I, I would suggest that if my wife came running down the stairs right now to say my kid, you know, got hit and is caught and we have to go to the hospital, I'd be like, hey, Rich, Andre, I'm sorry, but that's not my priority. I got to go take care of that. And you both would understand that. Sure. And and one cool uh, thing that you said here that I that I, I connected with as a, as a leader, and I don't know, Andre, if you speak to uh, more individuals or leaders and what they can be doing. But one of the things I learned to your point on you know, sending emails on Saturday and Sunday to your employees. And to your point, I used to say exactly that. I'm sending you the email. You don't have to do anything with it. Yep. But there was an expectation within our organization that you respond, that you respond within 24 hours, that you get an email back. And, and I didn't realize this stress. I can remember vividly the conversation I was having with, with our uh, controller at the time. He's like, look, I'm gonna respond to your email because now, now you've just lobbed it over to me and I, I, I wanna look responsive. I wanna know that I'm with you, I, I got this. And, uh, and one trigger that went off with me is I downloaded an app on Google called Boomerang. And what I learned was I could actually send an email now, but you don't get it until Monday morning at 8.30. And I started using that. And sure enough, this employee would come in Monday at 8.30. like, ding, ding, ding. All the emails would come through. He, he knew that I was writing them over the weekend, but it changed his lifestyle over the weekend. So leaders need to take responsibility. In my mind, I'd be curious to hear your opinion, Andre. You know, whose responsibility is it to find work-life harmony? Is it solely the individual is, is it a company's responsibility? Is it a spouse's responsibility? Like, who owns that responsibility and, and how can all those parties play into it?
1: Well, I have uh, so many things that you said resonated with me. To start off by answering your question and then some other things i like to share is, one, it's everybody's responsibility. I call it a leader's two-way street. Too many times too much emphasis is put on the leader, whether it's an organization or team in, leading and dragging everybody forward. So as a leader, what, are the, what is the vision and vision factors that you have for your success? What are some of the expectations and what are some of the rules? When you talk about when, when I do my leader seven and one of the languages, the seven languages is respect. And it is email etiquette. Not only when you send the email, scheduling when you send that email so it shows up in their inbox and how you start and end your your email. So as a leader, are we doing things to value our people? Are we clear with our vision and the vision factors, the expectations that we have for our people in the organization and the rules? They don't need to be a lot, but there needs to be some. As the employee or the other people on the team, we have to have They have to have more skin in the game. Employees need more skin in the game. If you're unclear on something, if you want or need something, have we gone, have you gone to the people and the powers that be to address it? Now, how you address it matters. How we address it matters. So one of the things that I often talk with employees about is called the get great question. Okay, The get great question. And it implies your leadership. So it's not saying, hey, I deserve this or I want this or why don't I have this? It's saying, hey, I wanna be great here. I'm finding it hard to be great with this happening. What do I need to do? Or sharing a leader's idea. Hey, I have an idea that I think would be great. Right now I'm struggling with getting emails on Saturdays because I'm with my kids and I don't wanna feel like I'm not being a team player. Would it be better if we could send out an email at 8 o'clock or you could schedule something and I get back to you then? I think that would be great for me, but I want to know what you think about it and if there's something you would find too. Sometimes employees, team team members, have to help their leaders to lead them, help help their coaches to coach them. So with the get break question, with the uh, leader's idea, it puts more skin in the game and it fits their two-way street. And leaders, have you created, have we created a safe enough space that they can come to you and share their idea and you have a great response to that? I often coach leaders on how to do that within organizations because when I first started this, (laughs) it was a learning experience, right? So I worked with the C-suite and middle management and then I did a cohort with employees. That's my philosophy. Bookending a company, you know. And I taught the, the employees to get great question. I want to be great here. What do I need to do? I cannot tell you how many leaders responded back to that question with, just keep doing what you're doing. It's a dagger to people's motivation. And we had to understand why that was happening. One, maybe this leader wasn't ready for that question. Maybe they haven't thought about it. Maybe they have a tornado of ideas going through their mind. Or maybe they simply had to pee and was on their way to the bathroom. So how does that leader now properly, as a leader, address this question while also protecting their time and ensuring motivation on the back end? So talking a lot about that. Uh, That's a big answer to the question. It's a leader's two-way street. Everybody's responsible for it. Yeah. And
2: I I always, you know, when you're talking to employees and I used to do this sometimes as well, when I was coaching an employee on how to deal with their leader, uh, maybe Mm -hmm. not, they weren't working for me, but they're working for somebody else. I used to say, you know, another way of saying two-way street, I say, you have to lead up. Uh, You know, you have to take the initiative and and the way that great, get great question. uh, I love it because one thing that I've learned, because listen, you know, we are evolving now, uh, you know, Rich and John are evolving right now, talking to you, Andre. And that's the reason why we're doing this podcast is hopefully people can listen to this and evolve themselves. And, and to your point, evolving is not just change, it's getting better. And I found that how you approach situations, conflicts, um, dilemmas, the questions you ask yourself or the questions you ask the individual, i.e. the great get great question, how you approach things in life seems to be 90% of the battle. Uh, I'd love to hear your background on that from the mental health perspective and from the leadership perspective. Would you agree with that? Or maybe I'm exaggerating at 90%. uh, Where would you draw that?
1: Um, I I agree wholeheartedly. When when I hear things uh, that I don't want to hear or maybe even offensive, Or I could be frustrated by, because not everybody's gonna have my same or your same as a leader uh, or employee, have your same passion for something or have your same personality. My first thing is always after my feeling, have your feeling, but your feeling can't guide it. Where are they right? Simply, where are they right? What are they right about? You know, typically people aren't the devil bursting out of the underbelly of society to ruin your day. They're emotional about something, but they also are right about something. What are they right about? What is it that they need most from you right now? And if it's reasonable, doable, and fair for who you are and what you want and what you're willing to give, you do it a little bit outside your comfort zone. Okay. And you make it happen. Now, one of my rules as a leader was this. Uh, I don't enjoy. So my expectation was positivity um, and be of impact. My rule, one of my three rules was this, and there was a big one. And so many organizations have adopted it. Please accompany your problem with a suggested solution. It helps your employees be able to lead better. It protects your time and your energy so you're not Mr. and Mr. Fix-It-All-Time. It allows them to start thinking of the bigger picture. And I say, look, one of three things is going to happen when you accompany your problem with a suggested solution. Number one, we may go with it. And that's great. Good for you. Good for me. Good for us. Two, we may not go with it. And then I'm going to, or we may collaborate ideas. Number two, we may collaborate on ideas. Number three, we may not go with it at all, but I'm always going to promise to tell you why. I want to share with you the bigger picture of why not. Because why would you know? How could they know the bigger picture? They're not sitting in your seat. They might not know all of the departments or different things that go along with it. So now the challenge is, can you now fit your idea inside this bigger picture? But they have to do it away from you so it allows time for them to think and you also still get to protect your top yep. so that that's a, a big way of helping people to lead not only themselves but also you create leaders and then that also impacts their work-life harmony because they feel like they're they matter they're yep. working on something they're thinking bigger they're learning more
2: yeah andre you, you talked about managing before leading and, and it strikes me as you're bringing up this conversation how someone approaches a problem as an example have the solution Before bringing the problem forward so that you've thought about as opposed to, hey, we have a problem. What do we do? Right. And I found that one of the big differences between managing and leading is really never as a leader have the solution. Uh, You know, force the coachee, if you will, or the employee to think and come up with a solution themselves. You may need to guide them but you coming up with all the solutions to me, that was a big difference between managing before leading, you know, is, is if you're managing someone, you may be more directive style where you're leading right. them, you may be influencing them towards a solution, but you had said something that I just want to come back on. And I know that Rich and I have a lot of experiences in this area, Rich, I'd love to hear your comment, but you had said people need to learn how to manage before they learn how to lead. Um, because, you know, there's a lot of mistakes that you can make along the way. Can you elaborate more on what you meant by that?
1: Yeah. Um, Most people are promoted because they do one thing really well or they outlasted the rest of the people around them. Okay, so you have, for instance, a salesperson, million dollar salesperson. They get promoted to be the sales manager. Doesn't mean they know how to lead. They know how to sell a million dollars worth of product their way. So we all fall into managing before we know how to lead. And what I identify managing as is you're cracking the whip from behind. Typically, you're speaking only your language that you're most comfortable with and that's easiest for you to them. And when they do things the way you would have done, you reward it. And when they don't, even though successful, you punish it. I always say there's five types of managers. Um, And I fell into it. I won't go through all of them unless you actually, you you know, but you have the ego. And I fell into the ego category where I wanted to create, I needed to create a bunch of mini me's. I wanted everybody to know what I knew so they could do things my way and get to my vision of success. And it can be useful when you're imparting information, but do they even want it? And Are you recognizing most of the time the ego dismisses or fails to recognize the superpowers of everybody else on their team? You want you want everybody to be like you, that diversity and their superpower because they got there their way matters. So sometimes we have to be able to teach, but also white knuckle things because they have their way of doing it that they've been successful with. You know, you have your climber, the people who want to climb up the ladder. You have the abuser. You have the incompetent. You know, so you have a few different types of managing styles. And I'm not saying they're wrong because we all fall into one of them when we get promoted. Knowing the positive of each and then knowing what to do. And then there's the five types of leaders. Now you're a leader. You know, you're living the definition of leadership. You're, you're doing, you're building. But there's five different types. There's nothing wrong with any type. It's important to know not only who you are, but also the fine-tuning parts, the things that you, know, you might not have that the other person would need. And one of my biggest things from my newest book is uh, the, the Leader Seven. It's the seven languages that your people need to hear, want to hear, and benefit most hearing from leadership. And truly, leaders enjoy hearing it back from their people. Managers talk to people. Leaders speak with people, but using their top two languages. We got to know all seven. But Rick, you have, your, Rich, you have your top two if I asked you. John, you have your top two if I asked you. So I don't talk to you as like I would talk to you, especially to best motivate you and feel like you're a part of this team.
0: I want to take a walk back on a couple of concepts. One on the, the leadership versus management piece and just perspective on that. You manage things, you lead people. You manage processes, you lead people. Mm. There are a lot of people in leadership roles who create a terrific process when they're in a room alone at their desk. But when it comes to actually needing people to execute it, their inflexibility makes them actually a poor leader. But they're a terrific manager. On paper, it all worked out. Another concept, just a tie-in from John, you had talked about leading up. And then Andre, you talked about uh, the get great question. I actually think, I love the idea of the get great question is a leader asking that of the people who were leading. Hey, how can I be great at what I do for you? How mm-hmm. can I better unlock all of your talent, all of your will, everything you have to put for your job? Where have I been in the way and how do I get great? So I love kind of marrying those two pieces a bit.
2: Yeah. And I think a I think big thing too, Andre, before you go is, is I think we define that or I define that Rich as servant leadership. Yeah. I don't know, Andre, if you uh, do anything with servant leadership at all, but that, that kind of speaks to that premise for me a little bit.
1: Well, here's the question that take away from some of the intimidation when the leader uses the get great question, because there's some great leaders out there that would ask, um, but that doesn't always mean that their people are ready to answer. How do you want me to answer? Am I going to get in trouble for answering? Even if I know people, I've I've worked in organizations. I've done work for organizations where I've spoken with the leadership, C-suite, middle management, all great people, got the vision right moving forward. However, where their employees came from was so abusive that they're still gunshot. So I know my leader means well, but I'm scared because the last time I did this at my other place, I got ripped apart. So here's a question that will allow the leader to ask the get great question and possibly get some better results. Hey, Rich, what do you love about being here? And is there anything you'd fine tune? Answering a question in that order or as two different questions, starting with the positive, what do you enjoy about being here? What do you like about being here? People are gonna say something. What would you fine tune? Fine-tune suggests that things are already good. You want information to help make them better. So even even when you share a leader's idea, hey, John, I have this idea that you got a second. This is what I like about it. What do you like about it? And what would you fine-tune? The Hmm. order to those questions are so important because once you get the answer, it makes only sense to move forward.
2: Yeah, which comes back a little bit to that approach again, right? It's how you approach things. It's how you verbalize things that really, I think, is is, is the majority of the process.
1: Uh, and also the preface. I, I call it the world's best preface statement. When I'm sharing how to speak the languages in tough conversations, but also in the casual ones, the world's best preface statement banned me a thousand 20 years of therapy. And I've done therapy with you know, so many awesome individuals, but also some scary moments and with people that were really struggling, whether it was with voices that were telling them to hurt me or other people or uh, homicidal ideations and things like that. And I always started, and I hope organizations, leaders listening start this way. I want to know, what do you want to get out of working here? What do you want to get out of meeting with me? What do you want to get out of being on this team? So I want to know that. So I'm always addressing that. The preface statement sounds like this. Hey, John, it's great to have you on board. We're so excited to have you on the team. We're going, to be able, we're going to be sure to celebrate the successes that come our way. Now, at some point, as with anything, things are going to get rocky. And I might have to say something that'd be hard for you to hear, but I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't. Is that going to be OK? You're already affirming. Now, six days from now, six months from now, a year from now, something's going to happen hey, John, you remember that time when I said I might have to say something that'd be hard for you to hear? Yeah. You ready? <laughs> yep. That snicker right there, that giggle right there is what 98% of the people do. Because yep. they do remember. They gear up. You will watch people physically brace emotionally and physically for impact. And now it's, hey, you've been doing great, John, with this, this, and this. You mentioned your language. You got to know the seven. You mentioned your language was knowledge and advancement. It's going to be hard for you to advance with you keep coming in late or the deadline's coming in late. Can you help me to understand what's going on with that? Not what's going on with you, what's going on with that? They may say something that blows your doors off. Maybe Mary from the other office keeps being late with her work so you can't do your work. That's a leadership problem. What have you done about that? You know, maybe they just go through a divorce. So, you know, you got the kids and you can't get there on time like you used to. Maybe your mom just passed. Like, there's so many things that people will say. Or people get really real and say, you know, I just can't get up on time. My alarm clock, I don't know. I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, and it's as simple as that. And then we have a plan. Thanking them for coming in in their maturity, we send in an email to protect ourselves, and now we enforce the plan or the consequence.
0: Andrea, you talked earlier about creating a safe space, mm. and then later you talked about sometimes people are so abused, like in the workplace. You and I talked last week, and you brought up the idea of bully language in the workplace. Can you connect bully language with? safe space and abuse and kind of connect
1: all three of those for us? Absolutely. Um, to start, it's only fair to say that creating a safe space, especially for if your place hasn't been a safe space, is this a new endeavor or people coming in that aren't used to it, that it's going to take time and your consistency. It takes time and your consistency. The bully language are the words that we use that either bully ourselves, our people, or our team. Here are the bully words. But, if, can't, try, just, and only, should, deserve, and lastly, happy. These are bully words that when we use them, hey, you should have, or if, or I'll try to, um, or I'm only a, or I'm just a, or I deserve that raise or I'll be happy when, Hmm. you know that, happy. Um, So one of the things that I share is what those words are, but then what to replace them with. So I don't remember the order here that I just gave it. So if becomes when, my kids don't get to say if, if I go to the NFL, no, when I go to the NFL, not if I get to it, when I get to it, it sets your mind and your ego and everything ready to win instead of setting up that cushion pad for failure if you don't get it done. Um, All right, Rich, you're going to have a party. Ask me to come to your party. I love parties. Andre, come on, man. Let's go to a party. You know what? I'm going to try to make it. Do you expect me to be there? No. No. Try and when we say try, whether it's for our own dreams, goals, or whatever, or when we say try to our people, or can you imagine you asking somebody to do something that's working for you and they say they're going to try? It just, you don't believe it. Just like you didn't believe I was going to come to your party. Nobody believes it. You don't believe it. They don't believe it. And it's not building on anything. So it's, removing try and sh- and saying I'll get to it or I will be there or I need to check because I don't think I'll be able to make it I want to you know so being able to get real honest and clear with what the vision is but oh my goodness replacing but with a semicolon will save your life and relationships hey John you did a great job with this project but you John you just did a great job with that speech but Anything I say after but, or, hey, John, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings and said that. I'm sorry you didn't get a raise, but anything after but, people don't want to hear, is typically blaming and BS anyway. So it's a semicolon. Hey, you did a great job on this project. Semicolon pause. Next time, I would add this in because it would have a greater impact for you professionally.
0: I love the semicolon part. You know, the other one that I've been taught is out of uh, improv: is yes and.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So somebody says something, and you might disagree with the components of it, mm-hmm. and it's not no. Here's what it's not no, go. but yes it's, and. Yes and, and you move over. So I love both of those tools as a replacement of the the but. I got one more one other thought before I turn it over to John. I know he has questions. I'm watching him chomp at the bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about vision. Mm-hmm. Andre, I just had a conversation with somebody in my business today. And that person and I were both in leadership roles. And we both said, you know what we stink at? Mm-hmm. is setting a vision. You mm-hmm. don't really know how to set a vision. Like is a vision, we're going to go produce a lot of money. That's a vision. Is a vision like it's going to be with this organizational chart. And here's the growth. Is that a vision? Like, how does a leader create a vision and how does a leader communicate that vision in a compelling way? I don't think I'm particularly skilled at it. I'd love to personally learn from you with that question, really, and have any of our listeners who feel similar to I do
1: on how do you do that? Um, For me, and I love the question, a vision is how do you want to most be impactful to the world, to your customers, your clients, your team? And how do you mix that, marry that with how do you want those same people to see you? So that's your vision. For, for instance, my vision is to be the best in the world in my space of leadership and work-life harmony. Becoming wealthy, becoming wealthy with ideas I've created in the company that I've created. That's my vision, okay? However, too many people stop right there. So that's what I want to be impactful to the world, but that's also how I want the world to see me. It's a win-win. The problem is most people stop there. Having a vision is not enough. There are people homeless under bridges right now that have a vision for their life, have a vision for success. So what? It's not enough. So I call it the leaders three. You have your vision. Part of the one, you have your vision, but now what are the vision factors? What are the three to five things that you know when, not if, when you do them consistently, the vision takes care of itself It has to come true? I don't walk around every day thinking about my vision. I walk around every day doing my vision factors, though. I have my vision on my mirror when I wake up, but I have my vision factors and things to do about those vision factors weekly on my board. Because you can get so busy being busy, you forget that other stuff. You forget the real stuff. So, number two in a leader's three are the expectations. What are your expectations for your team, for your organization? For me, my expectation is to leave anybody I speak with individually, a stranger, an organization, leaders better than when I met them. Period. That's it. Maybe your expectation for your organization is to be positive. I know. Some organizations have no negativity, no gossiping. Maybe it is to make a bunch of money. I don't know. There's no wrong one, but have one. What's your expectation? And your people need to know it. Then what are the rules? I don't believe you need a lot of rules. I had three big ones. One, be on time. Preferably be there before you were supposed to be there. Okay? Number two, if we go back and forth and email more than three, four times, Let's get on a call. Let's do a Zoom. Let's get face to face, eyeball to eyeball, ear to ear and, and straighten this out. And last one I already shared, please accompany your problem with, the, with, with a solution. Having your leaders three completes your vision. But then you ask, how do you share it? Yes. There's a lot of different ways on how to do it. Whatever you do, you, it has to be consistent. It's not this one and done type of thing. It needs to be in your rhetoric, in your speech. So one, getting your team together, whether it's a new team, existing team, and revealing, revealing, hey, this is the way we've been going. It's been good, but not where I want it to be, not where we can be. So we're resetting, and here's the leaders three. Now, I, and, and this is a part of leadership that we got to say, especially because if you've got some negative Nicks, negative Nancys, some people that are there that are not on board with it and haven't been on board with it. We all know who they are. I understand that this is going to be new and maybe trying for some people. And we really want to move forward with the people that are here and want to be in this boat. If not, you know, we want to be able to create win-wins. So we hope everybody will be on board. But I understand that everybody that starts, us, starts with us right now may not end with us. I hope that's not the case but we are moving forward. That just said very nicely that some people might have to go. We're on board and we're moving forward. Now, we can always do that great, get great question. We're going to be consistent in, in every meeting. Hey, reminding people, this is our vision. These are our vision factors. When we do our email etiquettes, how we're talking with people. Uh, doing our one-on-one meetings, you want to be consistent with your vision? Have the one-on-one meetings that is the most canceled and most rescheduled meeting in all of business history. Meeting with your people one-on-one gets rescheduled and canceled more than any other meeting in the world. But it's how you have that meeting. It doesn't have to be this long drawn out thing. And it's not always about organizational, functional productivity. I want to know, first off, what's been good since our last meeting? I call it the POW, the positive of the week. I go first. Hey, my son just scored three touchdowns. I just got asked to speak in L.A. What's been been positive since I've seen you last? You set up a way for them to know how to answer. Then, hey, what do you want to get out of our meeting today? What do you want to get out of our one-on-one? Let them share. Maybe they say something again that blows your doors off. You didn't know. I want to know how I get a raise. I would like to know how I get on this committee. I would like to know how I can do this in a different location or whatever it is. Maybe they say nothing. Next, you want to marry what your goal is for them. You know what they need to improve in and what you want organizationally. Marry it with what they also said they wanted to get out of the meeting, creating a win-win. Then we develop a plan. OK, so so moving forward, you're going to do this, this, and this, and we're doing this, this, and this for the bigger picture. Great. And then lastly, most important, getting out of your one-on-one, what was your biggest takeaway from our meeting today? Let them say it. Whatever they say is going to be more true for them than you telling them what was great about it. Pre-COVID? or back in the office after COVID, when people walk out of that meeting, they walk out with a better bop in their step because it's more true to them. You asked what they wanted. They said something that was good to them. They're ending it on a positive. No, not, oh, I got to meet this number again, or I got to do this, or I just got, you know, it's another evaluation just on a weekly basis. The other people in the organization are watching. And one of the best things that will happen that you will never see as a manager or as a leader, is this conversation right here. And this is how I knew what I was doing was creating value. Employee A says to employee B, hey, have you had your meeting yet? Have you done your one-on-one? Or did you sit in that uh, training yet? Oh. Employee B says, oh, uh, I don't want to do that. That's going to be stupid. Employee A says, no, no, no. That's really good. It made a big difference for me and you should go. You can, you know, you know that... and then it starts to trickle without you having to sell it. Mm-hmm. That's the win. But it requires revol- it, it, it that you know how to lead, but you're consistent with it. You know your leaders three and you speak it consistently. And also helping and speaking their language goes a long way. Knowing your seven, but knowing their top two.
2: Yep. Andre, um, I am, I think, uh, one of the only three of us that does not have a psychology degree on this uh, podcast today, right? <laughs> um, and so a lot of what we're talking about is language and the power of language. And it's not as if you're not telling the employee that they shouldn't be late and they got to figure out the problem. It's how you approach it, how you language it. Coming from a deep psychology perspective, if entrepreneurs are listening to this, like myself, don't have a, a degree in psychology, what is going on? Like why is priming the pump a certain way before you approach it without using buts or try or only or shoulds or the the bully words? Why is the approach so important to the psyche from a medical perspective to prime it properly?
1: Um, One of the best things that I learned in being a therapist is that it's 80% connection, 20% your toolbox and actually know-how. And that's why a lot of therapists or people in the in social services field, they can get all A's and they can know all of the practical application of techniques. However, if they can't connect with people, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's 80% connection to how you bond with a person that then allows you to be able to say the things that need to be said. Because some people would think what I'm saying is soft leadership. This is not soft. How many times have I said, but in a very nice way, this train will, might, might leave without you? You know, I'm not, it's not soft leadership, it's leadership, but it's making that connection first, it's having that empathy first, it's being human to human first. So when I, I, I once did, a, had a therapy session with a gang enforcer, um, he, he was the enforcer of a prominent gang. He was what you would label anti-social personality disorder. Um, Extremely violent and liked it. Um, And actually needed marijuana to uh, de-escalate. And I've seen him on or off. And I'm like, please be on. Because scary, you know, scary individual. However, no matter who sat in front of me, no matter who sat in front of me, being able to have that connection in that first session or two was everything. We don't have to get to the problem and, and, and the misery or, or negativity right away. Hey, how are you? What brings you in? What do you want to get out of being here? Have you done therapy before? Uh, what did you like? What didn't you like? What, you know, are you looking for change or do you want to, you know, what are you here for? So now I can tailor what I'm going to give and I can set my expectations. And then also do that preface statement, hey, I'm glad you were able to provide this information to me. This is now how I work. And you're giving them a choice. You can work with me or not. You've shared. I now know. I now tailor. This is how I work. Are we good? Now, at some point, I might have to say something that's going to be hard for you to hear. But I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't. Is that going to be okay? By that point, sure. Yes, they're bonded. They've connected. I've asked them questions that no other therapist have ever asked. Have you done this before? What'd you like? What don't you like? You know, so allow me to be who you need me to be, but still tell you the truth. And then whenever that time comes, because it always does, I hear you. Hey, I re- remember that time when I said, and I might have to say something that's hard for you to hear. And they do the chuckle. They do the brace. And then bam, you can hit them with it. And not only do they accept it, but they're grateful for it, they ponder it, they think about it. Now, whether they do something about it right then or there or two months down the line or a year down the line, I've done my job as a leader because I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't say it. That's true. And what I said was also true. Now the ball's in their court.
2: Yep. so, so you know, it strikes me, it's almost you know, leadership with empathy and expectations. Because yes. it seems to me that the connection you make with that individual as an example, or any individual you ever work with, and you you hear a lot obviously articles or commentary that you have you know the first 30 seconds to make a first impression, right? And after that, people will form their opinion. It seems to me that your first 30 seconds would be with empathy, with with gratitude, empathy, and getting them to talk uh, versus they come down and go, here's the way I work, here's how it works here at this company, right? <laughs> uh, it seems like is, is that is that fair? Empathy and expectations is kind of the key.
1: Um- yeah. Empathy. One of the things I would put with empathy is um, being open to learn them. Because as big organizations, you don't have to. I mean, it's nice, but let's be real. You don't have to know your people. Yep. You're there for a service. You're going to use them for what you're paying them for once every two weeks. They'll do or they don't. You'll find somebody else that will. And you'll keep plugging ahead. Those organizations tend to have a lot of burnout have a lot of bored out, have a lot of turnover, and they'll keep chugging ahead because they have numbers. Yep. But that's not gonna be the way of the world. That's that's changing. That's yep. not healthy. That's not good for people and leaders and, and, and employees. Uh, so I would put, be open to know what they wanna get from you, how you can be of service to them, having that empathy, but also the expectations and some tough leadership too. There's times where you're gonna have to be tough. Yep. And that's okay. Um, and I would add one thing, freaking smile, a smile goes a long way. Let's, let's, let's look back to, especially before, uh, COVID and zoom calls, these zoom calls that we do now in this remote work, we have to be eyeball to eyeball now before. When did you ever really see your leader? And when you did see them, what'd they look like? I had one boss that I worked for that I don't even I can't even uh, I couldn't pick her out of a lineup, but I could pick the top of her head because she was walking through the office with her face down on her phone, not saying hi to anybody. I don't know what her eyeballs look like, let alone a smile. And that exists a lot within organizations. People are so busy being their definition of busy. Wait, wait, Andre, go like this. <laughs> hey, I only recognize you by the top of your head. <laughs> yeah, like, and that's a lot of organizations. And. Then we do want to be available, but I do cringe at, I do cringe at the open door policy. Um, I agree with what it means. I just don't always agree with how it works. Sometimes uh, I was a leader within an organization, and I had an open door policy, and it becomes very quick sometimes not to get anything done, as people stop by your office whenever they need something, and then a five minute conversation can turn into an hour conversation, and I like being able to have a an open communication policy where people can ask me a question or email me a question or stop by the office. I mean, I work from home now and travel everywhere, and it's hey, I appreciate you asking that question. Right now, I'm in the middle of this. If it's not an emergency, why don't we schedule t- today at two o'clock or? Yeah, absolutely,
2: I mean, I mean, I've, I've, o'clock. I've actually always looked at the open door policy as more of a philosophical understanding than come interrupt my time management uh of what i'm doing but i, I do agree it's more philosophical uh, let, me, let me go back if i can andre to i want i want to hit back on psychology just have one more piece here because you guys you know are really and uh, you know well versed in this area i was once introduced to a book and i'd like to get to your books here in a few seconds i don't know if they relate to this exactly or not but the book was thinking fast and slow have you guys read that book i have not rich of you I have
0: it. It's on my list. I have it back there. I haven't oh, read boy. it yet.
2: So just a preface to this. Uh, when I was told to read it, I was told, uh, one, don't tell anybody else I recommend you to read this book, which is like, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> Two, don't recommend the book to anybody else. Sure. And three, be careful with what you read and use it appropriately. Huh. I'm like, what the heck is this? Psychology book thinking fast and slow. And it's somewhat of a manipulative book where by, you know, the mind has two systems It has system one and system two, right? System one is the fast, the instinctive, you know, emotional reaction to a question or a situation. Mm. System two is a little more deliberate, slower, you know, intentional uh, of the way you think. And depending on how you pose questions or what question you ask first versus second, You'll get the different responses where you can potentially manipulate people and their thinking and their psyche into how they're receiving your questions and response. And it it was a very intriguing book, very difficult read, I may add. So, you know, Rich, when you do read it or Andre, if you do read it, it's a very difficult read, but it's very scientific and it's very powerful. And they give very, you know, very strong examples of if you ask somebody this question first and then this second question mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, question, 2nd you'll get this certain response. But yeah. if you ask it this way, you'll get that certain response. Yeah. You know, and they, and they, they did it over hundreds of experiences and, and experiments, I should say. A, I'd highly recommend you guys read it. Uh, but B, I'm kind of going to the point of, you know, is sometimes using language manipulative
1: approach um, yes, <laughs> as long as your uh the, the approach or the manipulation, so to speak, is for leadership. And, for instance, for betterment, for, yeah, for, to be to be better. Um, my my leader seven is all based on language, based on what people are best motivated by. For example, um, you have the seven languages, so I'll just run them off. Goodie time, that that employee that loves the goodies and the donuts and the snacks. Then you have quality minutes, that employee that wants two to five minutes to speak with a boss that's not work-related conversation. Knowledge and advancement, knowing, you know, some employees want to know what you know so they can be you one day. Uh, We have recognition and affirmation, the person that wants that pat on the back. Incentives, some people are strongly influenced by incentives, raises, bonuses, trips, things like that, gift cards, company competition. Then we have flexibility. Me, Flexibility. Can my ideas be flexibly implemented? Or can I work in a flexible manner? COVID helped a lot with people who spoke that language. And then respect. And there's a long drop list of what that looks like. So when I was an employee, my last job as an employee, when I first started off as an employee years ago, I was knowledge and advancement and respect. I wanted to know what people knew so I could be you one day, have your job, earn your money, yada, yada, yada. Towards the end of my career as an employee, I knew that I wanted to be doing what I'm doing now, being a professional speaker, author, trainer, doing all of that. So my language changed. I'm now flexibility and respect. My old boss came, came to me one day and I'm working at, in a sales position because I wanted a, a entry-level job that allowed me flexibility so I could do my thing. And he said to me, you know, Andre, We love great people like you. You've been doing such a great job. We want to get you promoted and moved up. And he's talking to me and I'm looking at him and I have so much respect for who he is as a person. And he's great at his job. However, I'm looking at him. It's a Saturday afternoon. He's wearing a suit, standing in a retail store, talking to me while I'm missing my son's game. So if I do everything the way you want me to do, I can still be here 20 years from now, standing in a retail store, wearing a suit and missing my weekend life. No, thank you. He was speaking to me from knowledge and advancement, his language, or what he thought I wanted to hear instead of knowing my language and manipulating me, if you want to use that word, with flexibility. Because if, fle- if he knew that I was flexibility, you would, he would have said, hey, Andre, We love to uh, keep great people like you. What do you love about working here or at least like about working here? And what would you fine tune? And I would have been able to say I love the schedule. I like that. You know, I never know who's walking in the door. I like sales. I never thought that I really would. I enjoy the team. I enjoy the people. How what I would fine tune is a more flexible schedule. We have rovers on Mars right now. I don't know why we can't get a floating schedule for the weekend at a retail store. Is there a way that I can see my kids game and make up time on the back end? Something. Shoot, I leave and come back just so I can see it. We never had that conversation. Therefore, I quit. Nope. You know, So using language, depending on why you're using that language, knowing what language best motivates somebody to impact the better of the team, um, it's priceless. I know what language my wife wants to hear. She's words of affirmation. You have the five love languages. My seven don't work with, you know, they they don't interchange like because one of the love languages is physical touch. I don't need my boss to rub my back, you know, so (laughs) it's, it's not a crossover all the time. But I know my wife's language. And when I speak it, I get way more of what I want and need. Yeah, it's the same thing professionally. Yeah, I think it comes back
2: to you evolving now. And if as a leader, you're looking at your team and helping them evolve now, and you're evolving now, and it's all, it's all meant for the right influence and the right direction for that person's desires and needs, I think using it is very appropriate, and I appreciate your response on that. Can you tell us a little bit about your books?
1: Sure. Uh, my first book back in, I want to say, wow. Ah, there it is. That's, that's the, the new baby, the new edition. Yeah. Um, so I have Evolve, which is a coffee table book, and that's a compilation of quotes and questions. My first content-based book, it was Seven Ways to Love, all about relationships. And then my newest book, just released on December 8th, 2020, is Seven Ways to Lead. And it's talking about how to evolve as a leader, professionally and personally, enhancing leadership and work-life harmony. So that's been just, just epic. And, and it really starts with the different ways. One, a leader's preparation. How do we prepare to be a leader? There are so many leaders going into it that it may be insecure in a lot of ways. You know, I remember meeting with a, a higher up in the company and they just got promoted to senior vice president. And you would think, and so many employees think, leaders know everything or should know everything and have no feelings like there's these robots. No, they're people. How do you prepare as a leader? Then how do you have a leader's confidence? How do you raise confidence? How do you have a leader's gratitude? Then what are the daily leadership things? Way four, the daily leadership things that you do consistently to effectively lead a team. How do you do a leader's risk? How do you know how to take risk and when to take risk? and then what to do after success? A lot of people don't know what to do after success. And the first thing we got to do is take care of who and what's been taking care of you. You know, then we get into self-care. One of the things across the board that great leaders do, no matter what organization or team is, they know how to take care of themselves, right? How do you do that? And because th- you have people, and I remember as, as a therapist, I did in home, you know, everywhere. I would go into these mansions sometimes, and these people have these top jobs and can be miserable at home. Top jobs, miserable at home, making all this money, but never home. Making all this money, never see their wife or husband, so they wind up divorced, all of these different... How do you care for yourself? So at least when you get to where you thought success was, you got other things and people to enjoy it with. Be ashamed to be making all that money, get that status, all those letters behind your name and be miserable. And then you take it out on your team. Or you are workaholic because that's all that matters to you. Lastly is the leader seven, which could have been a book all of its own. Uh, I, I was compelled. I could not put it in there because it's too important. and needs to be out now for people to really know the seven. But then to be able to, when I say speaking in casual times, we as leaders have to make those deposits in the bank to our people, whether it's in person or remote. So when it's time to have that tough conversation, we're not only having tough conversations every time they see us. You know, that recognition and affirmation person, give it to them. That quality minutes person, give it to them. But how do you do that? How do you do it? Especially if you're not, because I say, what's your top two? But also, which one resonates with you the least? I can't tell you how many leaders say their least favorite, the one that resonates the least, is quality minutes. But if you've got 15, 20 people on your team that have circled quality minutes, uh-oh. So how do you make it easier? For that leader to then go to that person. So I talk a lot about that in the trainings as well, how to do that. I'm looking forward to digging into it. I just got it a couple of days ago. I've already circled a
0: few chapters I want to get into first and, uh, and eat it up. John, you had talked about manipulation and I took a training class at one point and have come to learn there's a one word answer about the difference between manipulation and persuasion. Mm. One word. Can either of you guess it? Positivity? Intent. 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 I love it. Yes. That we'll, is the we'll marry one. Them. Positive intent. <laughs> ah, there you go. That's a two-word answer now. It's intent. If you're if your intent as a leader, you can use the same. Let me back up. You can use the exact same words and the exact same techniques or tools. But when it comes down to your intent, are you using them for the best interest of the person who you're influencing or are you using them for your own best interest? And there's a phrase that we use in our business that's you do leadership with people, not to people. Mm. If you don't feel like you can say to somebody, hey, Andre, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna work together to try to get you more motivated. And I wanna try to look for a few things that are really gonna turn you on when you're in a room alone, that are really gonna get you fired up. I wanna do that with you. Are you in? You're working with them, right? And that Mm -hmm. is the intent to work with that person. And that then would be persuasion. If I go on the other side and I'm like, you know, I really need to find some tools that are gonna get Andre fired up, but I can't tell him because then they won't work. If you feel like you can't tell somebody you're leading what you're doing because it won't work, Right. That would be manipulating. So that would be a, uh, just another shot at a perspective on it, John. As, uh-huh. we're, as we're rounding out to the, uh, to the top of the hour here, and so much appreciate your time, Andre. Would love to get just two more questions in. One is the word leadership.
1: Mm.
0: For people who are listening and want to ask the question, how do you know you're doing it well?
1: Mm. here's my answer. When I speak on stages at trainings, you're doing it well if you're doing these five things. I share five words that embody leadership. One, influence, impact, protect, decide, and expectations. So are you being of influence? Are you positively influencing people towards the positive vision? The leaders three. So are are you positively influencing people? So When I came up with my definition of leadership, it is in two parts. One is personal leadership, how you, how I, how we show up to our work, to our team, to our relationships, to our life in a way that makes people want to follow us because they enjoy and respect how you are and who you are. The other part of the effective daily leadership skills and things to do. So are you influencing people by how you show up to them, to the conversation, to the office, et cetera? I had one boss that walked in every day. I'm like, that's allowed? Like, one, how come this is allowed? Number two, why would I ever want to move up and be you if the job is doing that to you? This looks horrible. So how do you show up? Number two of impact. I'm sure each of you guys can think of a boss, a coach, a mentor, whomever, that has made such an impact in your life by something they said, did, or showed you. Will you, as a leader, can you be that person for somebody five years, 10 years, 20 years from now? Impact. The other one is protect. This is a big word that often gets neglected when we talk about leadership. Sometimes we're going to have to protect our people from themselves and their bad habits. You know who's late, you know who's bad on deadlines, you know who's rough around the edges with communicating with other people, all of these things. So have you put boundaries and rules in place to protect people from themselves? How are you willing to have the tough conversation to uphold boundaries and expectations? The other part of protection comes in the form of, sometimes we're gonna have to protect people from us. Our bad days, our bad habits, I need not have a meeting when I'm hangry. I am not the best person when I'm hungry and angry, okay? Also, leaders, you know who's your yes people. And what I mean by that in the positive sense is the inspired and motivated on your teams. Those are the hungry people that tend to say yes and move forward with everything. We gotta protect them from us because we tend to burn them out. And the last thing we should do or could do is burn out great people and they get so bitter that they leave, which is a problem, or they stay and they're bitter and that's a problem. Or we bore them out because we're so busy doing our job or taking everything or micromanaging that they have nothing to do and they get bored out and leave. Okay? Uh, the other part is decisions. I'm not talking about the, monu- the, the decisions and the thousand decisions we have to make as leaders every day. I'm talking about the decision to arrive every day with what I talked about before. Head up eyes up, smiling, doing your best at your craft. Know your craft. You're there. Know your craft. There's some bosses out there that don't know their craft or ship off their work to everybody else and then accept credit for it. Know your craft, do your best, and then be your best as a person. When you're being your best as a father, as a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, all that stuff trickles into work with you. Be your best. The last is expectations. And I came up with a quote, and John, you had said the word expectations before, and it stands out. And I said, look, a vision without expectations is just hope. And expectations without planning and consequences are merely suggestions. If you guys have kids, have you ever suggested that they do the dishes? Yeah, it didn't work too well. Don't work too well. <laughs> so the things that we're talking about are not suggestions. These are expectations. And when those expectations aren't followed, we have to be willing to have these tough conversations. Um, and it doesn't mean that there's always, it's always punitive. We go into these cof- tough conversations inquisitively. And we want to learn as to, can you help me to understand what's going on with that? Why isn't this getting done? So I help to understand. And maybe it's a leadership problem on their end. We help with that. Maybe it's, Something that, hey, this is not something you're really good at. And I just came out with an article uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it's called A Leader's Let Go. And it's firing your, the two top people. And it's the potential, the people you can't wait to fulfill their potential, but they constantly have it. And sometimes you're high performers because what they're doing to be high performers is just so negative and abusive to everybody else that it may be time for them to go. And it's all creating a win-win for the organization, for them, and for you.
0: Andre, thank you for that. I feel like that's a perfect place to end on that crescendo on how do you know you're doing it well and those five pieces. I'm so grateful for the generosity of wisdom that you provided, John and myself and our viewers today. If If our listeners or viewers on YouTube want to get more of you uh, in, in this type of input, how would they do that?
1: Uh, you could my website, you evolving now.com. It's Y O U evolvingnow.com. Um, also I'm big on having a zoom chat with people. Uh, it's one thing to, to view, uh, content, uh, please check out the videos and all of that. And, uh, but it's another thing to have a conversation. So, um, uh, my, Email address is Andre A N D R E at UEvolvingNow.com. And I'd love to be able to learn more about organizations that are out there and things that they need most. Because the other answer to your question, Rich, how you're doing leadership well, is are you marrying with are you marrying your superpower? What you want to do, your vision with also meeting their deepest need. When you can do those things for, for your team, for, for your people. And and you're moving forward towards your leaders three. It's amazing. That's leadership.
0: Love that. And and you can tell you're a connection guy with 8,500 followers on LinkedIn. And you put your cell phone number right there on the on the description there. Like you want to be connected with people. So anybody who wants a little bit more of Andre, that's a way to get them.
2: Yeah, I love it. I appreciate uh, you helping us evolve today, Andre.
1: Oh, it's awesome. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoy your day and your evolution as well. It's been a pleasure.
2: Hope you enjoyed the episode as much as Rich and I did. Stay on board for a couple more minutes as Rich and I break down the podcast. You evolved now, Rich. I loved Andre's energy, enthusiasm, and specifically, like something sometimes we overcomplicate things as entrepreneurs, and the empathy, the language you use. You can set expectations, but the way you set them, the way you bring back conflict, it just strikes me that you know, what I'm taking away personally from today is just a reevaluation of language I use when I'm talking to my kids, talking to my mm-hmm. wife, talking to my team members or colleagues or partners. The language you use is so powerful.
0: When you always hear, it's not what you say, it's how you say it, right? Like yeah. that's not new, but Andre hit it in a little different way that did connect. And, you know, the vision without expectations, just hope, expectations without consequences is just a suggestion. I mean, that's, that's not only leadership advice, it's parenting advice too. And it is an interesting parallel. It's a whole nother podcast we got to do sometime is uh, just the parallels between good leadership and good parenting.
2: I, I, find, I find that it's certainly, I, I agree with you. It's a whole conversation in and of itself because- oh. There are many leaders and companies that will set a good vision for their company, but they won't set the proper expectations. And if they do set the proper expectations for many reasons, including fear or uh, afraid of losing a good employee or, you know, the top performing sales rep, you don't want to address the fact you're not happy with certain areas. They don't address conflict and bring their expectations to light and therefore they become suggestions and things start dwindling downhill and I think it's an absolute great point. And he brings it all together in such an elegant, empathetic way that I would love to work for him based on that language. And I think that's the reason he's becoming so popular in terms of speaking with companies and employees, because he doesn't only speak to the managers or leaders. He actually speaks to the leades, the employees, in terms of how you can also affect the language. You're not happy with something your boss did. Maybe you can address it with your good, you know, get great question. How can I get great at doing this job for you? Help me along the way. If an employee came to me and said, how can I get great at this? I'm in.
0: I'm in. You know, and Andre talked about his perspective on it. It Was it 80% connection and 20% know-how? And then he talked about you prioritize the connection over getting to the problem. I know when I was early in this business uh, 12 years ago, I did that wrong. And I really went in trying to demonstrate competence to franchise owners that I was responsible to coach. And the whole time while I'm pressing the competence button, wanting to tell them I can add value, I can help, I can help you grow to the next level. And I was a new guy wanting to demonstrate competence. I was violating connection and common sense of purpose about really understanding who they were. And he talked about learn them first. And I think that's so key as a leader, particularly in new relationships, is to learn the other person first before we expect them to learn us.
2: Yeah. And that kind of comes a little bit back to as well. And I, you know, I, thought, I loved what you talked about, the difference between manipulation and per- persuasion, uh, being intent. I'm happy I won that, by the way. You I, I, I should be <laughs> proud of me. Uh, it's Positive something... intent. That's what we got between the two of you. Yeah, yeah exactly. I love... What you talked about a few minutes ago was 80% connection, 20% know-how. And if you, as a leader, don't connect with your people individually, you don't know how to lead them. Even if you have the know-how in your head on the specific you know, curriculum or, or intent you're trying to, to train them on or lead them to. So I, I love the fact that connection was a big piece today. And well, the other one that we've
0: heard, you and I got taught from, I think, Jeff Levitan was a quote, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care.
2: Yep. In prioritizing connection. And you you show them how you care by getting to know them, opening up, using the proper language and uh, terminology, not using the bully words or bully language as Andre would call it, right? So I uh, really appreciated the conversation with Andre. And I I do feel like I evolved. You learned something from every guess we have. I feel like I learned a lot here today, which is great.
0: Yeah, same here.